I, I want to ask you not to miss the moment this year. In all the hurry and the scurry and the busyness of the year and whether you're doing online shopping or crazy enough to think that it's actually in stock at Walmart uh, two <laughs> days before Christmas, uh, I, I want you to calm down and take a deep breath and don't miss the moment. Because there is a moment. There's always a moment in every Christmas season. There's a moment when God says to our hearts, if we're listening and if we're looking, this is it for this year. This is the moment I want you to remember. This is the expression. This is the event. This is the conversation. Because life is filled with moments, but then there are defining moments. One thing I know is this time of year, you can't get away from Jesus. And you can't get around him. I mean, we, <clears throat> we spent this past week trying to keep Mickey and Minnie Mouse out of unemployment. <clears throat> so we were at Disney, and I gave them some uh, Chick-fil-A uh, coupons to help them because I knew they would be hungry during the holidays. And so, uh, I, I mean, there are families, and I'm sitting there watching families with children, like the children we dedicated this morning. And the mom and dad are scrolling their phones. They've paid hundreds of dollars to get into the park. They're not taking pictures. They're just scrolling and texting. And I'm thinking, you cannot recapture this moment. They're not going to come back and say, hey, Dad, can we be two again? Can we be five again? Can we be seven again? Don't miss the moment. Because the moment that defines every moment for us as believers is the moment when Jesus Christ came to earth. You realize that of all the religious leaders, Jesus is not a religious leader because Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But of all the religious leaders, there's more art, there's more music, and there's more literature about Jesus Christ than all the others combined. The greatest event in history is the resurrection. But there would have been no resurrection if there hadn't been a cross. And there would have been no cross if there hadn't been a virgin birth. In chapter 2 of Luke 2, we all know this first part of the story. There's the Savior's birth recorded in verses 1 through 20. And verse 11 is the key verse in the first part of Luke chapter 2. There is born a Savior, a Savior, Christ. It's a new day. It's a new covenant. It's the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies. It is everything in the Old Testament moving to a moment, and in that moment is the fullness of time. And in that moment... Majesty humbled himself, laid aside his glory, not his deity, but his glory, left the safety of heaven, and came to earth for people like you and like me. In that moment, 
God said, I will provide the sacrifice that will remove the need for festivals, for sacrifices, for symbols. For all of those point to and are summed up in one person, the person of Jesus Christ. Now there are two people in Luke chapter 2 that we kind of skim over and we almost think we know about them. And they're found in verses uh, 21 through 38. Simeon, we know, is an old prophet. And he says, when he sees Jesus, he says, now I can die. I've been waiting all my life to see the Messiah. And now I can die. But in verse 36, there's a woman. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. Now just stop right there. Most scholars believe that this is not saying she was 84 years of age. Most scholars believe that Anna was somewhere between 100 and 106 years old. And at that age... At the very moment, look at what happened. She never left the temple. That doesn't mean that she had a room at the temple. It meant when it was time to be at the temple for worship, for sacrifice, for praise, for whatever it was, she never missed it, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, the moment when Simeon is blessing the Christ child, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now here you've got two Old Testament, Old Covenant saints, Simeon and Anna. They have never given up hope. Now let me tell you why that is so important. Because when God spoke to Malachi, he went silent. And God had not sent another prophet he had not sent another book, another messenger for 400 years. Generations before Simeon and Anna were ever born, God had been silent, but they never gave up hope. Sometimes if God doesn't answer us on a text message immediately, we give up hope. We think God is like a fast food line. He's not. Sometimes he's silent. But he's not silent to make us hopeless. He's silent so we look to him and so we get silent so we can hear him when he speaks to us. Now most of the characters in the Christmas story we can name. Oh yeah, there's the shepherds, there's the wise men. We don't know their names, but we know there were shepherds and we know there were wise men. We don't know that there were three wise men. We always say three, but they brought three gifts. It could have been, you carry it, no, I'll carry it. You carry it, no, I could have been 44 wise men. We don't know, but we know there were shepherds, and we know there were Joseph and Mary. And we can overlook some of these people that are in the story, like Simeon and Anna, because God uses people we overlook. We walk through a crowd, and... We see a crowd. God sees people in a crowd. 
And God looked down from heaven during 400 years of silence, and he said, there's going to be a man named Simeon born, there's going to be a prophetess named Anna born, and I am going to let them live until they see Messiah. And so they're looking and they're waiting. They're not unimportant. He's using these verses to say, God is watching for people who are watching for him. Now, I want you to notice what didn't happen in the Christmas story. Caesar issued a decree for a census, but he did not issue a decree to celebrate Christmas. The Roman Senate did not pause and pray and thank God for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Greek philosophers never gave it a thought. The Jewish high priest and the law keepers never looked at their own book to say, could this really be the one? They never even took a five-mile trip to Bethlehem to check it out. Some recognized and proclaimed him that we do not know. Don't think you're unimportant in the moment. Because you may be the person in somebody else's moment where they meet Jesus and where they find Christ. Luke dedicates two verses to her. You say, well, that's not much. Well, you should get through this. You should already be through this sermon. Just two verses. That's not much. Well, it's two verses more than I got. Two verses more than you got. Why does Luke mention her? First of all, she's widowed and elderly. She's important. It's another reminder that God cares about widows and the elderly. And she lived expecting the coming of Messiah. Now let me tell you why Anna's a big deal. She's one of 43 references to women in Luke's gospel. Luke paid attention to details. She is one of 12 widows mentioned in the Bible, and she's one of three mentioned by Luke. Luke is paying attention to the moments, to the details. The first thing, she lived <clears throat> expecting the Messiah. She, along with Simeon in verses 25 through 35, were part of this faithful remnant of Jews who were not just going about their business, but they were going about their business with an eye on the fact that one day, somewhere, somehow, God was going to fulfill prophecy and send a redeemer to Israel. They saw the answer to their prayer before they died. Some of the prayers you pray are going to get answered after you die. But they saw the answer to their prayer before they died. And in the temple, there was always prayer and praise and sacrifice and song. And so they would gather, this faithful remnant would gather in the temple courts and, and Anna would go where she could within the temple courts and they would sing songs and praise God and, and encourage one another and quote the scriptures and, and say, God is going to do this and one day all that we're doing that is external will be manifested in one person at one time, the Christ, Amen. the Messiah. So they were gathered. That day was like any other day. 
in the nearly 100 years, maybe, of Anna's life. But on this day, everything changed. She found the moment when God spoke. And she walked up. Simeon is praising God. I mean, Simeon is saying, man, I could, I, I could die now because I have seen Messiah. But then he issued a prophecy to say he's going to be wounded. It's going to be a sword. But she joins right in, and the key phrase is in verse 38. She continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, you know what that word redemption means. It means to buy back or to buy again. It's the act of buying something back or the act of purchasing something again. It's a business term. It's a technical business term of buying something and canceling a financial obligation. But in the time of Jesus, it was most often used about a slave, to buy a slave's freedom. To buy a slave's freedom. And so we have been bought, you and I, who know Christ, have been bought out of the marketplace of sin. We were enslaved to addictions, to habits, to attitudes, to prejudices, to preconceived ideas. We were addicted to, we're good enough to get to God without going through the cross. We were addicted to man-made religion. But Jesus showed up and was able to buy a salvation for us that we could not buy for ourselves by his blood, through his blood. And it wasn't until Jesus entered the marketplace of my heart that I found redemption. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1 knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of the lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. What is the bondage of sin? It's the futile way of life. It's the way of thinking that I can have joy and happiness and peace and contentment and purpose without Christ. You see, here's how the world lives. The world lives like everybody that goes to Disney World. Hey, let's get to this. Let's get the fast pass. Let's go here. Boom, let's go over there. Boom, let's go over there. Let's get a dole whip. Let's go over here. Let's ride this. And there's no planning. I mean, I've been there so much, I can watch people, they'll go to Tomorrowland, do Space Mountain, and then run over to Pirates of the Caribbean. And then they run back over to this ride. And they run over here, and they spend the whole day bouncing back and forth between parks instead of, why don't we get everything done we're supposed to get done here? And then we'll move gradually, and we'll go by the castle, and we'll get over to this land, and we'll get more done. And then you get on a bus after you have maxed out your credit card and bought ears that you will never wear again, <laughs> ever. And T-shirts that say, bippity-boppity-broke. <laughs> I saw one girl, she had a T-shirt with a Magic Kingdom on it and said, I told my dad I would be home for Christmas. And 
the dad had a t-shirt, had the Magic Kingdom on it, and said, she came home, and we're at Disney World, and I'm broke. <laughs> and they get on a bus. Now, they start in the morning, hey, we're going to Disney World. Wow. And they're all excited, mommy, mommy, mommy. Go to the character, take a picture. Go to the character, take a picture. Go to another character, take a picture. Fight to get in the front of the line. And then this is a bus ride home. Sit down! <laughs> I mean, we, we were on one bus, and this guy had his mother carrying one of the strollers. And he is griping at her all the way down the line. The wife is holding the baby. The mother's got one stroller. He's got another kid and another stroller. Move it, Mom! Move it! Go to the back! Go to the back! And I'm thinking, boy, there's a moment. <laughs> Wish I'd had my camera out. I could have had a YouTube addiction. This is a guy yelling at his mother before Christmas. Footnote, she just wrote him out of the will. <laughs> you see, the world's looking for moments, but the moments of this world don't last. The moment that lasts is the moment when we give our hearts to Jesus and when we declare him the Redeemer, redemption. She lived as a witness. She spoke to those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. But there were others, not just her, but she's mentioned, who were waiting and anticipating that something was going to happen. But for most people, it didn't change. They weren't looking for it. I mean, you think about it, the, the Pharisees were looking for Messiah, but what they were looking for was a, a general to ride in on a white horse and destroy the Romans, so they rejected him. The Essenes were looking for somebody to just write more laws and more rules. They rejected him. The Sadducees weren't looking for him at all because they were the liberals of the day. They didn't believe that Messiah was going to come anyway, but the remnant was looking looking for the day when God's plan would be revealed, when the Old Testament saints who had believed by faith and God had reckoned it to them as righteousness like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, like David who knew, I'm sitting on the throne of Israel, but there is a king coming behind me who is a greater king, who will sit on the throne and who will rule and reign forever. Like Isaiah, who saw the crucified Christ, who was wounded for our transgressions, who was bruised for our iniquities. And Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Do you know Jesus? It would be very tragic if you lived another Christmas knowing about Jesus but not knowing him. Knowing some of the words of some of the Christmas carols but not loving the one that the songs were written about. You see, if you know him, you're going to be like Anna. You're going to tell his story. And God is looking for people to tell the story. In fact, Luke chapter 2 is all a telling of the story. The angels announce the birth. In chapter 2 and verse 15, the shepherd says, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing. In verse 17, and when they had seen this, they made known the statement to them about the Christ. 
Do you know Jesus? Are you a witness of what he has done in your life and in your heart? We've reached the point in our family when we don't do much gift giving anymore. I remember Warren Wiersbe told me, he said, I I don't need anything. He said, so what I do is all through the year, I go buy books at the bookstore and I put them in a box. And then at the 1st of December, I tell Betty, Betty, there's a box of books that you're going to give me for Christmas. I've picked them all out. I love every one of them. And so she would wrap the box and he would open it and go, oh, look, a commentary. (laughs) One that he hadn't written. We, we, we're more about experiences now than gifts because gifts just, at, at some point, you know, how many more pairs of socks do you need? At some point, how many more shirts do you need? At some point, how much more stuff do you need? I mean, a blender is a blender is a blender is a blender. I mean, how much of that do you really need? Now, if anybody wants to give me one of those new Lexus, that they're advertising on TV, I will humbly accept that. (laughs) But since I know nobody's going to do that. So we did an experience this week. We did one of, I've done the keys of the kingdom behind the scenes, down in the tunnel and all those things, and I won't destroy the magic, but we, we we did an experience this week. And so what we did is we went to one of the warehouses which is the size, floor space, of about eight basketball arenas where they store all the Christmas decorations, which go up in all the parks and all the hotels in two days. These are the backups. Decorations, garland, everything. So we went and saw that, and there's these big boxes, and it would say like, you know, 12-inch garland and 18-inch garland and 24-inch garland, and then there's rope and there's all this stuff, all these Christmas decorations and everything else. And even showed us how they keep kids from knocking it off a tree, which is pretty phenomenal in and of itself. And so then we went to costumes and saw this costume thing, just rack after rack after rack of costumes, just amazing stuff that they do. And, And then we went to see how they make some of their pastries. And so we're doing all this behind the scenes stuff, taking this bus, and so we had to make cookies and decorate the cookies. Can I just tell you, I don't have a decorating bone in my body. My Christmas cookie looked like it had been run over by grandma and the reindeer. It was terrible. It still tasted good, but it was terrible. But we had these two people, Dave and Anna. And Dave has worked, he's been a cast member at Disney for about 12 years, actually is married to a girl that worked with Erin when she was there. And uh, we had no idea, and just asked, they met, and then they started texting all this weird stuff that cast members do. Uh, and. I mean, Dave shows up in this red, white, and green sports coat that you could see in the dark. In fact, I think it could have survived a nuclear explosion. 
I mean, and Dave walks up and goes, Hey, glad you're here. What's your name? Well, let's go. We're going to have an experience. And, we're, and we were having Yuletime fantasy. Woo, let's get on the bus. Oh, we're ready to go. Woo. And Dave's just going, and he's just going 90 nothing. And then she was him on drugs. And, and she's, she's worked about nine or ten years for them. And, I mean, they were so excited, you could ask them any question and they would answer it. It was amazing. They knew everything about what Disney does to create the magic and the moment for Christmas. And the preacher in me <laughs> sat there and thought, I don't know that I've ever met more than a handful of Christians that were that excited to tell somebody about Jesus. Hey, can I tell you about the greatest moment in my life? More often than not, we go, I don't want to offend you, so I won't say anything. Listen, folks. There's a moment for some people that you're going to meet or be with during this season. It may not happen again. You see, you and I are going to meet people along the way in these next few weeks that are discouraged. They're depressed. They're in financial bondage. They're in abusive relationships. They have parents that don't ever tell them that they love them. They don't ever feel like anybody ever cares about them. You're going to meet people that this is their first Christmas with an empty chair. You're going to meet a widow or a widower or a parent that this is going to be a hard Christmas. And in that moment, let's take a deep breath. And let's speak about the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. You don't have to be Dave and Anna. But you ought to be convincing. I mean, my, my kids say about me, and this is just the pastor being honest, my kids say about me, typically I'm either Eeyore, thanks for noticing me, or I'm grumpy. Not one time, not one time have they ever said, look, he's happy. They have said, look, he's dopey. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. When it comes to Jesus, I'm not grumpy about Jesus. And I don't want to be standing on the side like Eeyore, hoping somebody notices. I want to be in the moment, in the conversation, to say, can I just take two minutes to tell you what Christmas means to me? Because without Christmas, there's no hope. 
when, when I'm out in businesses, I, lo I love to do this when I'm out in businesses, especially with people that don't know me. Uh, because I was born on Christmas Day, me and another guy. Uh, <laughs> and that's the line I use. So I'll meet, I'll meet a stranger, and I, it's this time of year, and it's my, it's my entry line. It's just where I start. And so they'll say, well, how are you doing today? I say, I'm great. I say, listen, best I can tell, I want you to take my birthday off. They say, really? I say, yeah, it's Christmas Day. Just take my birthday. It's me and another famous guy. And if they go, nothing, if they're flat, they say, you do know what that day's about, don't you? You do know what Christmas is about, don't you? Because all the decorations, everything, they'll go down. But Christmas is about the one who changes lives. Anna spoke of the redemption of Jerusalem, but not just the redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption of all who would believe that Christ is the only way to get to God. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed? Luke chapter 2, the angels proclaim good news, the gospel. The shepherds tell it. The wise men see it. Simeon and Anna proclaim it. Will we be the people that proclaim Jesus to a lost and dying world? But today, specifically, I want to ask you, if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, don't let another Christmas go by thinking that being a member of a church or being good or being baptized or being better than other people is going to get you to heaven. There's only one way to heaven. It's by grace through faith not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. It is through Jesus. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God has redeemed us with precious blood, the blood of his son Jesus, who died for us and who rose from the grave and ascended into heaven to prepare a place for all those who would believe. And so in a moment... They're going to sing, and when they sing, I'm going to ask you to step out and come and find your way to one of these men and say, today I need to give my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to come to this altar and just pray for some loved ones that you know you're going to encounter or friends or, or work associates, and, and you need to pray and ask God to give you the strength and the boldness to speak to them during this season.